Have you ever dreamed of going to Hollywood and making it big? Well, these are the stories of people who have made it, just in a different way. They're the unsung heroes behind the screens that make movies and television come to life. Welcome to the Right Scuff Podcast, where we talk about films and interview those who are just starting their careers to some of the biggest names in production and post-production. Our mission is to inspire you through the true stories of people who have achieved their dreams. We'll be talking to Foley artists, screenwriters, sound editors, picture editors, the list goes on. And for film fans, we'll be focusing on sound and what it takes to create Foley. Hi, I'm Sarah. I'm a writer. And I'm John, a professional Foley artist in the film business for over 40 years. He's worked on over 500 films and is a 37-time nominated and 9-time MPSD winner for big titles such as Inception, The Matrix, and The Dark Knight. You can find us online at therightscuff.com and please be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. Welcome back to another episode of The Right Scuff and uh, today we have John Johnson who has done some of the most really incredible jobs. In fact, uh, he and I worked on a picture called The Alamo which is really interesting but that's just one of many and very happy to have you here and um, just going to ask you a question to kind of get it kicked off. Uh, uh, this is a very simple yet long one. Take us back to the beginning and tell us how you got to Ooh. where you are today. Um, what I wanted to be when I grew up. What a beautiful question. It, it, there's so many things, you know. Like everybody else, you, you know, and you start off in, in the 60s, you wanted to be, oh, a fighter pilot, or then you wanted to be a astronaut, or you wanted, then you saw the Beatles, and you said, oh man, that's what I want to do. And then you get a little bit older, and I grew up in a little place in Wyoming, so it's far off the beaten path where these weren't, you know, this, I was very lucky, because uh, my family, my father was a musician, and he uh, uh, grew up in the uh, Depression, and he actually was making money playing music down in Colorado. In fact, when Benny Goodman would come to town, they'd have big bands, but he had a core band they brought, then he'd fill it out with other guys locally. So we, my dad played at Elitch's and stuff like that. And then, you know, and these were just guys just trying to make a living, scratching through. And where in Wyoming was this? A place called Sheridan, Wyoming. And my father grew up, well, he started off, well, he was an Okie, and Along the way, on the way to California, they stopped in Colorado, and by that time he was 18 or 19, and he made it through high school there, and then he was off on his own. The core of my family was my mother, who was, well, this is kind of interesting, she was an orphan, because her mother was an Irish immigrant, and she died about a, a week after my mother's birth in Leadville. Oh, man. And then uh, her father died when she was about eight or nine, and then she was taken in with her sister by the next-door neighbor in, in Denver. And what a character she was. She was always reading. She couldn't carry a tune in a bucket, but she still sang. <laughs> God bless her. And so there's the music in my father's side and uh, just love of books, literature, everything else on my mother's side. And they had to find a way to get through this life. And so my father started a jukebox business. 
And this is before they had jute boxes. And so they're in this little town because they, they, my dad had come to this little town with his band. And so they'd come up with the most rudimentary jukebox you could have. As my father actually strung a line. There was maybe three bars in town. And so he strung a phone line into each of the bars. And so somebody would put a dollar in the, or a dollar, my God, no, it'd be like a nickel, and get and pick up this line and talk to my mom, and my mom would get the record out and play it. And then along the way, they got enough money That's to buy, fantastic. buy a jute box, you know. And then he had that business up until, you know, uh, uh, well, it was a family business, and my brother ran it for many years, too. Uh, the tragedy for me is my dad died when I was 16. Yeah, that's, that could be a... I, I, I hear you. I, I had somewhat similar thing happen when I was 15, so I understand. Yeah, but don't give up. No, no. In fact, you were in high school then. High school. In, trying, in, in Wyoming. And I, I figured that what I was going to do was uh, run the family business, but that time my brother, who was old, 18 years older and he uh, really needed a job, came back and started the business. So I had to, like, I'd already gone into electronics thinking I was going to work on jukeboxes and stuff like that. But obviously there wasn't a, a, a place to go. And so I was in a, it was at that crucial age, 1920, in a junior college in Wyoming, and I was trying to figure out what to do next. And so I was going through uh, this catalog, and I'm just looking for what, what to do next. And it, it went, ran, ran the gamut from maybe going to Las Vegas and becoming a, a casino manager or... Uh, Hawaii because the weather's nice and mm -hmm. at that time they were in the uh, Western Athletic Conference so I'd always see Wyoming play those guys you know when it's sunny out and I think my mom got wind of it so she bought me like a really nice heavy jacket and so I started to look around at say um, locally because obviously she wanted me you know, to stay around so I looked at Montana State University, home of the Fighting Bobcats, and they had a film and TV department. And I said, I watch a lot of TV. I think I could do this. Wow. <laughs> and, and so the mom just uh, said, okay. And this is where, you know, the out-of-state tuition was maybe less than... bucks or something? Yeah, something like that. And then after I graduated, I found out that actually that... If I was in a major that the University of Wyoming wouldn't support, they would have paid the difference between the two. But, of course, I discovered that like six months afterwards. Oh. So uh, I went through that program and made a senior film, and it did a few things for me. It got me out to Hollywood or whatever and, and went into, at that time, the AT&T Student Academy Awards. And a friend of mine had applied, and he was in the AFI at that time. And I thought, well, oh, really? Geez, who, who was that? Do you remember? Uh, Scott Chestnut, and okay. then later John Dahl. And uh, and I applied, and as it turned out, I said, the mistake that I made is I applied when I was living in, in Hollywood, that you had a much better shot right. if you're outside <laughs> of Hollywood trying right. to get in. <laughs> but then I thought, well, I lucked out, and I got this job at... Uh, Nyman Tiller Associates and the reason why wasn't that I had a film that went into uh, competition or that uh, it was nice to have that but way back when when I thought I was going to be running a jukebox company I worked or I, I got uh, this is 
the very infancy of computer programming. So I actually got a few chops into programming computers, and that's why they hired me. Wow. And so it's you can never add up. You can never tell where it's going to come from. Mm-hmm. And you never, you can, it, you know, it, it, at the interview, I was just cheap and cheerful and, <laughs> and just another, you know, Wyoming, Montana lunkhead that came early, stayed late, and did what you wanted me to do. Well, Nyman Tiller Associates actually was at the forefront. You could say the, the cutting edge or even the bleeding edge of technology because they, I remember seeing these huge, huge storage, <laughs> storage facilities that had, had, had all these sound effects on them. And they'd have these cake tin-like devices that would be the hard drive. So they'd have like all their door closes on one hard drive, and that was all like five megs. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's when the dinosaurs roamed the earth. Yeah, that's right. And uh, you know, it was still like core memory and all that stuff. And and uh, I didn't actually get on the device that much by that time. Uh, I was there as an apprentice and got into being an assistant. And then I was trying to become a picture editor. And fortuitously, I was fired during uh, Oliver Stone's first film. And, well, which was film was that? Was that? Uh, that was The Hand. Hand? Yeah, no one ever mentions The Hand. And uh, Richie Marks was the picture yeah. editor. And things just didn't work out. And uh, next thing you know, I'm on my ass, kind of brokenhearted. And then you collect yourself and go, well, go with what you know. And then I discovered, uh, I got a shot, the real shot at sound was working at Hanna-Barbera. And that's where I discovered something. And all of those sounds I grew up with, they're stored, they're in your head. You knew exactly what it was supposed to be. You know? And then, then you have to decipher what they call these things, you know, blop, gallop, rundown, uh, <laughs> <laughs> temple block, riot, and... <laughs> My favorite, WAP, WAP. <laughs> which was exactly what it sounded like, WAP. <laughs> but then once you do that, I, you know, gosh, this is almost 40 years ago. I remember where they were in the aisle at the basement in the old Hanna-Barbera building, and I remembered all those sounds. It's, I can't remember people's uh, names very well. I will kind of recognize their faces, but I can remember sound effects it's like this stupid pet trick I have where I recorded or where I got it or where I used it last or wow. whatever. So that's back in the analog age. So it was, it was critical to do that because you didn't have that much time to uh, rehearse or right. to, to reflect or, or listen to too many things because you had to listen to it and then get it transferred and whatever. And now you know, the guys are so spoiled. They just go to like 20 <laughs> Those youngsters, I tell yeah. you. Yeah. So <laughs> even though it's, uh, you know, that's how I got started. And that's how I got So how long were we at Hanna-Barbera for? Uh, two seasons. Okay. And then I moved on to uh, Deke. And that was like Inspector Gadget oh. and all this other stuff. Same idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, but at that time, I about got, I about I did get married, and my ex and I we started a, a, a documentary business to make business videos because I wanted to get back. And, and by that time, we could get half inch gear and videotape and, and do it, you know, on the cheap or right. whatever. But after a while, I found out it was just as hard to get that going as it was just to get another sound editing job <laughs> so <laughs> I, I reverted back to sound editing and uh, i got 
a job at uh, the old Glen Glen su- supervising, and they were just starting to do a lot of uh, tape uh, stuff and uh, multi-track and um, this one machine called a Synclavier. Mm, yeah, yes. that's why I brought up Taj earlier. The Synclavier, <laughs> oh boy. And so I was able to make a jump from there to another place at Modern Sound, and they were do, just picking up uh, Star Trek, and Jim, Jim Wolvington. Jim Wolvington, you're yeah. right, sure. And they offered me a supervising job, but I said, no, I'd rather cut. And I wanted to work on this Synclavier. And so I, that was that was just mind expanding that all of a sudden there was the it was there was nothing that could hold you back as far as what you had on your head and what you could come up with right and how you could create it how you could could, could perform sound i i still think to this day it's the by far the finest device i still have mine there you yeah, go i still have did mine. You, by the way did you have to buy some of the extra ram Oh God! Okay. Yeah, uh, I bought mine from a composer. Uh, oh, I, I got, got ahead of myself. So, actually, I had to go up. I did two seasons of that, and I wasn't having much fun with uh, the. It wasn't the work or the the people or the facility. It was this one associate producer. It's just I don't know. And, and it was. It's kind of a drawback I've had my whole life. I'm just a natural born wise ass. <laughs> 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 I <laughs> well, back in the day we used to do these uh when we were doing films and recording films they'd do something you know on the on the film going forward they'd record the dialogue and then they'd stop a little bit and wa- rewind to redo something and so what would happen is there started to be these what I called uh, like a sniglet of conversations that would go on as it was rewinding. So somebody would do something and then somebody would say something else. And so what I tried to do is make sure that I get the, the best funniest line on the rewind so that the whole place would just stop. <laughs> and, and were you successful with that? Yeah, about, yeah more often than not. But, uh, sometimes, you know, took its toll. <laughs> so you were at Deke and then you, after a couple of years you thought, well... I went to Modern Sound. Modern and, and then and, Glenn, yeah. And still, you know, it, it, so basically that was the next curve. That was the next part of the education. That right. was the part of... Uh, yes, it, it, it was a kind of a big jump to go from the work uh, materials, where analog and, and doing that, and going into digital. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then at that time to get that delivered, it was still like... Uh, stone knives and bearskins where we had to tone up a multi-track you had to get the dolby uh rack set up and and lay down tones and make sure that mm. 250 nano webbers and or 185 and blah 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 right so it was as technical as it could be but then on the other side it was you could do so much and the biggest thing then too was you replaced so many people which was the downfall, right. the downsize. Right, it. that seems to be true in technology, indeed. Yeah. So uh, the next job I got was actually at Skywalker for about three months, and I was doing a Showtime series up there, and I was the sound effects department. And uh, I got done with that job, and I was coming back to Los Angeles, and I thought, you know, I really liked it, and I liked 
but I don't like working for other people. And so I came up with a business, and I called it Fury and Grace. And uh, I said, now I got to buy a Synclavier, and they weren't cheap. And uh, composer Mark Snow had one used for sale. May I, I ask how much you paid for it? Uh, for Mark's part of it, I, it was around $100,000. And I think the direct-to-disc part of it was about forty or fifty thousand dollars. Sounds right. And then there's a multi track involved and it was the cheapest one I could get and that was about thirty or forty thousand. Mm -hmm. And then uh the you had to have a uh machine with time code to control all the machines and so that had three modules and that was that was about fifteen or twenty thousand dollars. And the last thing at that time is the Dolby rack, and that time you had Dolby A or Dolby SR, and I thought I was going to be doing a lot more television, so I bought the Dolby A's mm -hmm. because it, it just started, yeah, on and anyway. The, the final total on the barrelhead was about two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, two hundred fifty thousand. Just one device to get this the shingle is, open of that's Fury right. Grace. That's right. So that was in, uh, December '89. Wow. Yeah. And, wow. And. Uh, started and you know stayed you know had the shingle out for a good 20 years yeah yeah, yeah and you did quite a few uh, pictures during that time but of course you know one which i'm hopefully won't mind talking about but because you did get a little uh, golden boy for it was u571 yeah yeah was I, there anything on that that you, you really have never told people about that uh, would be interesting or just your process in it or just just anything comes to your mind about it yeah um that's why I started to, to realize, and it, it, you go through the process of, of trying to, to uh, find the spine of, of a story, you know, mm -hmm. and, what, and what's, what's your input to it, and what, it, what, it, what, what is, makes this different. And uh, it happened when I went up to, uh, there's a, a uh, World War II vintage submarine up in San Francisco, Right. I think it's a Gatto class, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, USS as Pampanito. Mm -hmm. And well, about every Wednesday, all these docents had come out. And a lot of these guys served on on the diesel boats, like the Korean War or whatever. Mm -hmm. And the stories they had were fantastic. And, and they'd fire up one of the engines. And there's four engines, right? Or was there five? There's four engines. And one of them was working. And they'd fired it up. And I was in the, the engine compartment when I... They fired it up, and my God, it had to be about 110 decibels. It was just it was <laughs> ungodly loud. And then right next to it is the crew quarters, and these are all hot bunks. And so I was, I was talking to this guy, and he says, oh, yeah, yeah, we slept right over here, and and uh, probably the best thing, and I'd get eight hours, and somebody else would get eight, you know, I'd wake up. So we had three guys in the same bunk, and... And he went on and he said, what was the best thing is we'd go out and then we'd get a, a call from the skipper and he'd say, okay, time to switch the sheets over. Oh. So, so that meant we're going back home. <laughs> is that what that meant? Yeah. <laughs> right, right. And, and hot bunking meant, that for those who might not know out there, it's uh, you literally, a guy would get out of the bunk when you're, it was your time to get in. Right. So the sheets would and it was still be warm. Right, exactly. right, right. And um, I said, gosh, and he was talking about, you know, that sometimes they, they'd have, because there's no keel on the boat, it'd, it'd be very violent. And they'd, they'd have to, they were always, 
and this is the key to it, is that they're always uh, playing with, with the ballast. They're right. always putting water in. Of course, they had the fuel sitting on top of it, so that was they were using fuel and always keeping it. It was always always something they had to, to look at and keep moving it mm-hmm. and everything else. Mm-hmm. And then I st- started to think about it, and they said, you know, this, this thing is about as for a mechanical device. It's huge. And there's all these guys tending to it. It's like a living organism of a sort. That right. These guys had to take care of it because if they didn't, they're you know they're shot in the water. Right. And it very close. I finally discovered that I have uh, 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 claustrophobia. Really? Yeah. After like a couple hours on these boats, I just couldn't stand it. I had to get outside. Wow. I mean, you know, it's a closet claustrophobia, maybe. Right. Yeah, so, <laughs> but these guys overcame that and. Uh, and they worked as a team, uh, you know, to make this work. And right. I started to get a whole new appreciation. You know, my brother was a Marine. And so that, I, I actually would say at that time when uh, there was a slow time when I came out here, it was during the actor's strike. And I was just got in the union and I didn't know what to do next. And I was thinking, I was driving past, there was a recruiting office right there off of uh, uh, Gower over by the, the, the Capitol Records store right, right next to the Thai restaurant, whatever it was. <laughs> and I was thinking, yeah, you know, I could go in for a couple of years. I, and I, because and I, I just read through the, the union bylaws and they said, well, you're still a union member if you go into the military. That's not something you did. And I just didn't make the right turn because I was late for like a meeting or something. And I was, it was that close. And I thought, wow. Yeah, I would have I gone in. And I, I don't necessarily believe in regrets but i think it would have been an, a, a something i i would have discovered things a little earlier or quicker mm-hmm. or been a, a little more attuned to right. but at that moment when i was with these guys tending this boat that it's never going to go anywhere they come out every wednesday and they tell their stories and, right and and i started to realize you know there's not only is this just a machine but it's a cadre it's a belief absolutely the more I would research this this submarine business, that uh, I'd read uh, fascinating descriptions about uh, sonar, for example, because that was very rudimentary in that time. It's all very act- active sonar, mm-hmm. and so to when they used a sonar ping, it would have so much pressure as as it came out, it killed fish. Would actually, you know, make a man deaf possibly uh-huh. within like uh, 50 feet Oof. so it's that loud and so these guys were talking they were, they were saying that when the, the a depth uh, depth charge tender would go across sub hunter and the ping would hit with such a veracity that it would actually sound would resonate and make they would say it sounded like sand on the hull it wow was, so that's like when you start to listen to this and then you I, I started getting farther and farther into it. I got a recording of it was a torpedo that uh, killed uh, it was a Japanese submarine, and it, it wasn't the Emperor. It was uh, maybe Hirohito was trying to get away, and we had a oh gosh, I don't, I'd have to look that up. But yeah, I mean, but they had a, a wire by wire torpedo, really, and it actually they they would guide it towards the sound and they had a recording of the screws turning on that submarine and i said oh that's it that's what i that's so that's what you use that was a model well 
that's right. That was a model because it had, you know, it had nothing to. But it 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 gave clarity to what once that happened, you heard it and you go, okay, well that would be something if one of these guys was around, they would recognize that sound. Right. And that that comes from another thing too that uh, my brother uh, did two tours in Vietnam and he would talk about it's. Uh, Part of you, AK-47 makes a very distinct crack, and that's a very good thing to know, as far as you know, which right. Are you where in to go. Way? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> other details like that. So uh, that's how important these sounds were to me. That I wanted to make sure that yeah, it's it's drama trumps reality, but you had to be able to give an experience that's realistic right that's not so far-fatched right so it was an homage in a way just because you wanted to get it right yeah yeah i i I wouldn't stop i just it was it was uh just like a dog i just wouldn't stop with it It it's like how much more can we get out of this so when you're in the audience before they announce the winner what was going through your mind this is at the academy awards when Uh, you're when you 571 was up for an oscar for best sound Effect uh, editing. Excuse me. Um, I uh, <laughs> I thought I was breaking it down to you know a long time ago in another universe. I took a small acting class at, at Montana. I went back and I actually I just sat in on this one class and they had a new drama instructor there in Bozeman. His name was Bill Pullman, <laughs> and he was talking about staging. And he said, well, basically what you do is, you, as you're on the stage, you, you find where you're going to go to and the lines you're going to say when you get there and you focus on this. And so you're not thinking of the moment for much. And so I was concentrating. I said, well, if they call my name, I'm going to kiss my wife and I'm going to shake hands with Bub and uh, Alan and then I'm going to go down to that spot and go to this. So I was actually, what I was thinking, I, said, I was more afraid if they called my name because I kept saying, make sure to shake hands with Bub and Alan, wow. and, but don't kiss them. You kiss your <laughs> wife. Right. So, right. So you kissed Bub and, 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 yeah, and yeah. Alan and you, and you shook hands with your wife. Right. That, yeah. Wow. And so. What a great moment. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 the only I do have one regret as is, is they rush you off the stage. Mm-hmm. I just had this one gr- one regret. Now this is, uh, mind you, this is uh, March of two thousand one. Right, you had done the picture in two thousand. Yeah, so this is March in two thousand one, and what I wanted to say was, uh, let's never forget those young men who went to sea, and never came back. Right. Oh. They give up all their tomorrows to give us our today. Well, you've said it now. Exactly. So I'm right, then, right there then, with you. You know, five months later. To the, yeah, we had six uh, months 9/11. later, 9 11. Yeah. This is about kids, if you will. I mean, is there yeah. some, something you would say to somebody that wants to get into the business? You know, like, wh- what advice would you give them? You know, if you, if you yeah, it, it, uh, there's, there's a the thing about following your dreams, but I, I have to admit that. Um, I like like uh, uh, what's the American singers show the uh, American, American Idol. Idol yeah mm-hmm. I'm I'm a sucker for like the first two weeks 
because it's just such a train wreck. And you watch somebody go up, and so they've been told their entire life that they sound terrific. And I grew up with somebody who couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. And, <laughs> and, and if, she, if she had that, was so inclined to go on to a show like this, I would, I would be a loved one and say, really, you shouldn't do this. You really can't do this. Right. And so you can't follow something blindly. Uh, that you have a knack for it or you don't. And it, as I said, I went through a couple different career paths and it, it all kind of with electronics and the music and, and the computers that it, it all totaled up one way. It wasn't that I said, oh, I'm going to go out and be a sound designer. I'm going to be, you know, do nothing but that. And I think that's kind of a shame that uh, you can, you can seal yourself off from a lot of opportunities. Mm -hmm. And if you kind of go with the flow until you figure out where to go, uh, I think that's, it's as admirable as uh, anything else. Oh, admirable, maybe that's the wrong word, but that would be the advice I'd give. Right. Like, you can't really write a novel until you've lived a little bit. <laughs> That's for sure, unless yeah. uh, somehow you've it's a, you you were reincarnated. Yeah, um, but you have you're an amazing talent in your own. I'm going to brag on you oh, for a Jesus. second. It was just one of those things that I mean, you revolutionized. You, from where where it started and where it got to, and what and the history that you uh, admire or embellish or use, you know from the early days from the you know the, what we'll call the grand masters and <laughs> and you know what a, a synclavier is you know what oh all these other things you yeah. work and and you embrace that and moved on so well that's kind words and but uh because this is about you i, well, I, well, I, I guess what i'm saying is that there's a recognition of talent after a while i think is that's it, true that, that i think that's true that when you you start each new project you learn a little bit more about the things you like or, and where it, and then it's like uh, i don't know it's i always th i don't think it is as as much an artistic endeavor as i do as as i think it's like more like cooking or, or, or that you go and you get the best sourced right vegetables or you you're on the phone like getting you know mollusks from <laughs> Iceland or somewhere <laughs> the next day. Right. And so the higher end in audio that you go, as far as especially the budgets, is that you want the best and you want them to be, and you want to allow them to be the best. Right. Yeah. Ag ag agreed. And, and in fact, we're going to ask you the time machine question. If mm. you could jump in the time machine and go back and s see yourself um, when you're 18, let's say, is there anything you would say to yourself? Uh, then it's like, hey, John, make sure you do this, or would you not? Uh, gosh, that's a very good question. And you always ask yourself, my mother used to say to me, oh, if you just knew everything that I know. And, <laughs> and I would think, well, I know quite a few things, actually. And, I, and, I, and you got to be comfortable in the arrogance of your stupidity. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to steal that line. Yeah, and so it, it's basically, I would have... I don't think I was uh, brash or anything. In fact, I would have told myself, told myself, is don't worry so much about what you think other think people are going to think about your choices. Is that uh, you'll you're going to figure it out one way or the other. And I probably would 
tell myself not to hold back. Just go ahead and do it. And Interesting. Instead of like waffling around for a while, just go into it, see if you like it. And if you don't, and I heard a, this guy, Mike Rowe, he says, you know, the beauty, beautiful thing about life is when you learn how to quit a job. <laughs> I think that's it. I think I would have told myself, you, if you don't like the job, don't do it. And I'm going to do one more thing. Hmm? I'm going to read this quote. Wisdom is knowing how many ways there are to screw something up. Craft is using that knowledge, and genius is going full tilt in disregard of the previous two statements. I'll say the last line again. Genius is going full tilt in disregard of the previous two statements. Yeah. That is your quote I, on your IMDb page. I love that, i got to yeah. say. You know, i got goosebumps on it myself. Because you know, <laughs> I, I, I just realized something. It was, it was that U571 thing. Is that the more the deeper I got into it, the the more I stopped worrying. You know, interesting. That very it just, interesting. It doesn't matter. It's just like this is it was bigger than me. And for the record, so you know, and I, I'm telling the audience, I did not work in that picture. <laughs> I saw that picture. I was absolutely blown away by the sound job. I truly was. It, I mean that sincerely. It was uh, blown away. It, it was so, uh, well, overused word necessary. Because otherwise, you're just watching actors in a can. No, you're right. And I, and, I, mean, it, and I learned I, so much on it. If so, I may yeah. say, from a Foley perspective, real quick, and I'm not trying to yeah. interrupt you nor talk over you per se, just hearing the Foley, which was excellent, and then just the effects, I mean, the, the like water movement, but things that are unbelievably difficult right. to do was, I mean, I was there. Yeah, so. it was. It was. Uh, it, 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 well, it, and also it was one of those situations that will never happen again where <laughs> we... I was with uh, Greg and uh, Maz. Right, that's Steve. Greg Landecker and Steve Maslow. And mixers. basically, yeah, and basically we mixed everything linearly. Did you on really? The same stage. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. You so, went from the beginning of the picture to the end of the picture? Yeah, wow. beginning of the effects, we started with the backgrounds and then we went into hard effects that or Foley, I think we had, and so then went into effects, and then we went into dialogue, and then we went into ADR, and we went through the whole thing. And if, and if we had too much of something, we went, nah, we take this and leave wow. that. So it was a very tight package going into the mix. And, and was that at Warner Brothers? It was at uh, Universal. Universal, sorry, on the uh, Hitchcock stage. Huh? No, we were in the mix six. Mix six, okay. Yeah, and the director liked everything loud. Jonathan. Jonathan Mostow is a good friend. He's, I say this lovingly, he's the nicest guy I've ever wanted to strangle. <laughs> but he liked it. He was young at that point, so he liked everything loud, so he had to build his desk about six feet in front of the console. Otherwise, we were chasing our tails. Oh, that's hysterical. Yeah. Oh. Uh, is there yeah. a favorite film that you've worked on or a show or anything, or did we pretty much hit it? Oh, yeah, you know, actually, there's there's a couple more. Alamo was a f another one of those uh, shows to go through, and, and historically, it was so much fun. Amazing. Yeah, and uh, I like historical films. I like sports movies, too. Blindside was a nice film to work on. Yes, uh, and 42. Know, yeah, 42, and uh, Saving Mr. Banks. And I like the fact, you know, it, I've been so blessed to have these very talented directors that keep making some movies. It, now we're getting older, they're, they're not back-to-back-to-back -back -back so much, so I kind of miss it. But on the other hand, geez, you know, I've been really lucky. And the, the favorite movies I have is, 
is uh, the ones I'm not jealous I'm not doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, and of course, I know you're a huge Manchester United fan. <clears throat> oh. Hey, you know what time it is? <laughs> Five past Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> so now you know who he really loves. And uh, I want to wrap up by saying a couple things, too. John will post on Facebook from time to time the goings-on I, I want to say the billings is Bo, the Bozeman Police Department yes and yeah. can you, do you remember just pick one. Oh, a couple of them uh, uh, police were called to investigate uh, a man walking his dog suspiciously <laughs> <laughs> yeah that yeah it's a it's a collection of pretty eclectic stuff and that's this these days folks yeah well I want to thank John very much for coming. And John, from time to time, people will, when of course they listen to this, uh, listeners, they will actually have more questions. So if they do, we might just shoot them. Sure. That's okay. Sure. Uh, and again, thank you so much sure. for taking time to be here. Because um, uh, I, I think really it's important for, for people to hear, you know, what you've done and then, you know, what your process was. And just to, like you said, to paraphrase, if you, you could have gone back in time, you would have told yourself, don't worry so much. I'm, yeah. I'm just kind of paraphrasing. Yeah, yeah but, pretty much. You know, and I think much. that's something for young people to hear. So, Yeah. Oh, I, the, I wanted to also realize something, uh, one more thing about sure. that. Is so, so like, plenty of time. The other thing is, is uh, I don't know, I didn't have to learn this, but I, 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 I was glad that I did do this, that uh, when you become responsible for yourself and your choices, the faster you learn that, that, you go, okay, these are the choices I make. And if it's not it's not the right choice, it's my choice. And so you you put it to bed. Right. If you continue to like live your life or your career blaming things or other people, you're gonna have a really long difficult life. Difficult. And just really quickly on this is that uh, I gotta tell you the, the, the bake off story. Now I, I get it. I get notified that I'm in the Bake Off. I think, great. And I've never been to a Bake Off. <laughs> the Bake Off is, is where basically they choose six, was it? Six films? Eight films? Well, this is at the Academy of Motion Picture yeah. Arts and Sciences, and at one time it's no longer in place. They have a different methodology, but there were uh, 10 pictures that the supervising sound editors would be responsible for bringing the, a reel, 10 minutes or less, if I'm correct, to the theater uh, in uh, Beverly Hills, and it would be each reel will be run, and of course, it'd be picked, um, the, the orders would be picked um, you know, randomly, and then all the Academy members would vote, and those that getting the highest votes would be going to the semifinals, if you will. That is, they go on the ballot for the general population of the Academy. So, yes, so. It's great, and it's been going on a while. It's like a big, you know, uh, sound geek uh, party. So, and I'd never gone to one. I'd never, never gone to one. I was, I refused to. I refused to join a cl any club that would accept me as a member. So, <laughs> so I get, I get this, this, this thing. So now I got to put this ten minute reel together, and. Um, Jonathan Mostow calls me. He says, "Well, do you want Wayne Warman to help you out?" And I said, "Like cut it." And he was the picture editor. And I said, "No, no, I, I'm going to do it because I don't want to blame anybody else." <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, the that's one thing I learned too is I would show people a cut of that reel, and I didn't care 
necessarily whether you liked it. If you say, yeah, I liked it. No, I, I want to say, well, what did you think? What, what, I, I was as, as dispassionate about it as, as, as I could be because I was my, trying to make it better. I just was trying to make it better. And it was actually uh, uh, good because it, I was limited to what I had on hand. It wasn't like somebody had given me a film and come up with a bunch of sounds for it. It was like, okay, this is what we have channeled all the energy into this, this strip. And what, what, can you, what can you tell me that you liked or didn't like? Right. And so... We put it together and it sounded pretty good. And we used, you know, uh, SDDS and all that. And uh, then I find out that, well, you know, you have to do a little intro for your film before you get started. I go, oh, great. I'll just um, think I'll, I'll just listen to what the other guys have to say and I'll parrot something when I get out of there. And guess who gets drawn first? U571. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> So I just went up. I was honest. I said, you know, you got to. There's so many things you have to draw dead lucky to get this done. And, and basically, I have the best crew in the world. I have the you know, great uh, director who's supported us all the way through, and the mixers are phenomenal. So, you know, it, it's more like I was just happened to be one of the guys, and I'm the one guy they picked to come up here and say this. If I remember right, so well, I, actually, I remember I was there that night, yeah. and it was fabulous. It truly was. There's a lot of great films there too, for sure. But uh, it was, I was absolutely blown away. Yeah, so. it, yeah, yeah. That, so you know, sometimes nothing's a real cool hand. <laughs> <laughs> as long as it's not a dead man's hand. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Again, John. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Right Scuff podcast. You could ask us questions on our website, therightscuff.com, or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We also do a YouTube channel where we do a prop of the week. Last week we did an ET prop, and the week before that we did Who Framed Roger Rabbit, so be sure to check it out. That's YouTube at The Right Scuff. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We really hope you enjoy, and we'll see you in our next episode.